Hello, and welcome to a special presentation of Harper Audio Presents, recorded at the American Booksellers Association's Winter Institute in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Winter Institute is a gathering of independent booksellers, publishers, and authors. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is... Hey everyone, my name is Lisa Ko, and my novel, Delivers, is being published by Algonquin Books on May 2nd. Lisa Ko is the author of The Leavers, a novel which won the 2016 Penn Bellwether Prize for Socially Engaged Fiction. Born in Queens and raised in New Jersey, she lives in Brooklyn. Barbara Kingsolver calls The Leavers courageous, sensitive, and perfectly of this moment. Something that's interesting about it is that it's based on real life stories. Um, and it's about a young boy whose mother is an undocumented Chinese immigrant who's just up and disappears one day and he gets adopted by um, a white American family. And this is actually inspired by cases that happened in real life of um, undocumented immigrant mothers who've had their U.S. born kids taken away from them while they've been deported and detained. Um, and that's something that's really timely both when I started writing this seven years ago and sadly even more timely now with everything happening in the world um, in immigration. So, you know, it's it's definitely a mother and son story, um, but it's also something that is is very relevant um, to the, our world. So tell us a little bit of just about the plot, give, you know, tell us about the, the mother and the son and their names because the son's name is changed mm-hmm. and, and, and just the, the, the overall um, gist of the story. Sure. Um, so the novel intertwines both the stories of um, Polly Go, who's um, the mother of Demingo. And, and really what happens is that when Polly is 18, she pays 50 grand to a snakehead to get smuggled into the U.S. from China, where she gives birth to Deming and raises him um, in New York City. She's working in a nail salon, living with her boyfriend. Um, And then when she disappears, her son Deming is 11. Um, And as I mentioned, he gets adopted by a white couple and moved upstate. And they end up changing his name to Daniel Wilkinson. Um, And really what's at the heart of the novel is that 10 years later when he's 21, he starts to really look um, in earnest for his mom. And it's that search that forms uh, the main plot of the book. And so tell us, I mean, it's, it's such a heart-wrenching story. It's such a poignant story. Did it come to you? I, I know that it's based on you read an, a partic- one particular newspaper article, if I'm mm-hmm, correct, mm-hmm. A, about a, a mother who this happened to. And did it sort of come to you fully formed? I'm always interested in where stories start sure. and where they end. Mm-hmm. Well, it was definitely, um, and that's a great question because trying to figure out how to best write the story was really the most time-consuming part of, of the seven years. In what sense do you mean? Um, I started, so I started, as you mentioned, with, with this article that I got really obsessed about with um, an undocumented immigrant mom who was found in a detention jail in Florida and her son had been um, taken away from her and adopted. By, and they, take, they were able to delay, you know, sort of... Um, and, force these women into detention centers, not because they were deemed unfit mothers, correct? It's, it's, it's not that. 
No. It's rather because they violated some portion of an immigration policy, correct? Or what what leads them to basically get caught up in the system initially? Well, it could be a lot of things. And I think um, the policy is so flawed and also so biased that, you know, you have cases of... um, immigrants who have followed the law to the letter and, and who have applied for green cards and can just get happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, um, whether it's at work or getting picked up for a speeding ticket and, yeah. and then they're separated from their families. So a lot of it just happens to be, you know, both a combination of, of a flawed and biased policy and also timing. Really um, bad time, luck. Yeah, really yeah. bad luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's not to say that they've ever been accused of negligence towards mm-hmm. their children in most cases, correct? Yeah, not initially, but I think in in the number of cases that I've seen, um, which have been more publicized in the media, where the kids have been adopted out into American families, one of the reasonings behind that is that because the parents... Um, immigrated illegally, they were deemed as unfit. Or there might be a case in which they didn't speak English and that was seen as grounds for being unfit, which, you know, is not really true. Of course. So it's really the story of their trying to make their way back to each other, having Mm -hmm. been so changed by their individual experiences, correct? Right, exactly. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think part of it is is really about the way that um, like the, the, this sort of fracturing of families has such a permanent effect on both the characters. And, and a lot of it is, is stuff that is totally out of their control. Um, so in the case of Deming, the young boy, you know, not only his, is his name changed, but his communities changed and he's sort of forced to assimilate in this new world that um, was not familiar to him before. All the time growing up believing that his mother disappeared on purpose. Yeah. So part of it is really trying to find himself and his place in the world and also at the same time trying to find out what happened, really happened with his mom. And his mother's story is her whole desire to find him again. Yes, exactly. And sort of this sort of you know, psychological um, effect that it has on her and also kind of how she survives that separation, what she has to do to tell herself to kind of keep on going without him. So tell us a little bit about your background and why you were so suited to write this particular story. Sure. Um, Well, you know, one thing that I, that did sort of... um, jump out at me during the process of writing was that I felt that I wasn't necessarily suited to write this. And, and that's sort of, you know, what it takes, I guess, as a fiction writer in terms of using your imagination and, and making things up. Um, but, you know, I am the daughter of immigrants um, of Chinese descent from the Philippines, um, but I'm not an adoptee or a parent or an immigrant myself. Um, but definitely I feel like as an American, these stories just really resonated with me about these mothers and children because there was something so fundamentally um, unjust about them. So, you know, that sort of was the place where that hooked my obsession um, and sort of got the ball rolling in terms of researching and, and wanting to learn more and write about this. And I've also read you speak rather eloquently about your background and about your ambition to be a writer mm-hmm. and how sort of hard that was 
given your upbringing and and sort of what was ex- what was expected of you. Do you mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I've been writing stories since I was five years old. I'm now 41, and you know, I definitely call myself a player in the long game. It took me <laughs> <laughs> like seven seven very long years to write this novel. I've been writing for a much longer time, and you know, I think part of that really speaks to our need for more diverse authors and more diverse books. Um, growing up, I read and wrote, wrote frequently, but I very infrequently or really never saw books that represented my own experience mm. and my family and my friends. So part of that makes it hard, you know, yeah, I think, to, to see yourself as somebody who To train who your imagination write. on that. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Do you think it's getting better? Yes and no. Um, yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there have been authors of many different backgrounds and authors of color who've been writing all this time. Right. Um, it's just a question of, you know, trying to work with the publishing industry and, and trying to get those books out there. Yeah, I can tell you that internally at Houses, we have in the very recent past started to have more conversations around what we as your partner look mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and what we as your partner are going to be inclined to read and sure. relate to and how we have to expand that because right. we do we do recognize that it's narrow. Um, but I think you're right. I think you know, it's it's two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. Um, I mean, we're speaking we're speaking on Saturday, uh, January twenty eighth. Where you know, yesterday, um, the U.S. president. It's I can't I can't say our president. It's still yeah. difficult for me. But the U.S. Yep. president did, of course, create this executive order around um, denying um, access and to our country mm-hmm. and in the name of you know immigration. Right. I have a feeling in my chest, I can only imagine what somebody who's closer to these communities feels. And I wonder what you hope for in terms of the writing community in response to this president's policies. And, mm. and, and if you have any insight or if you even receive that question with like, you know what, don't, you know, don't look at me. I'm, I'm right here with you <laughs> and I've been with you all along anyway. Like why, what, why do I know more right. than you would know? Because that, that might be your, your genuine reaction. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can speak for myself that it's been, it's been really hard to write fiction since November. I don't know it's, how to, thank you. I you don't know how don't... to focus on it and to really, you know, I acknowledge the importance of telling our stories and, and of books, but, you know, I think, I also think that this is a very frightening time in which there are other things that are also extremely important. So it's been hard for me to figure out how to balance that. Um, right? <laughs> yeah, I was working on a new novel in November, like on November 7th, and then after that, I'm like, I, I just... Yeah, it's yeah. just, it's, <laughs> I think if nothing else, it's enormously distracting. Yeah. I mean, it's just so distracting. Yeah, and you know, And you feel like it's so frivolous to think about anything else. Right, you right, know? exactly. But um, obviously, we appreciate the work you've done. We don't want you to stop. Yeah. All right, now I want to ask you a few general questions. I've sure. sort of taken the Proust questionnaire and I've, I've adjusted it to um, to writers, sort of the mm-hmm. way that you add, you know, in bed as you read your fortune okay. cookies. All right, so what do you think is your most marked characteristic as a writer? You mean in terms of writing style? Or, or anything. anything, just as a writer, what would you identify as your most sort of identify your most prominent characteristic. Oh boy, I definitely think I'm an overwriter. Um, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> as in, you know, there are some people who 
I have a writing partner and a friend who kind of sits down for an hour and writes a perfect sentence. Um, I write like 18 pages of crap and then delete 17 and a half. So <laughs> I think in terms of my process and sometimes even in terms of my language, there's a way in which like that is, is a characteristic um, and a style. And where and when are you the most happiest as a writer? Oh, wow. Um, I've recently in the past few years become a morning person against all odds. And, and, and what, um, how did that happen? You know... It, I kind of cut back on coffee and <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll help. getting more sleep. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think when there's some quiet and I have nowhere to be for a few hours and I'm able to sort of be in my place in my chair, um, looking out a window and getting some work done that I'm really happy. What does your window look at your, any from your writing space? Well, my window, I live in Brooklyn in a very small and crappy apartment. Um, and my office is my boyfriend's closet. Um, okay. It looks out onto a 24-hour gas station. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, but, I'm sure you know, there's, there's a lot to see. <laughs> yeah, it can definitely be distracting. Um, endless parade <laughs> of, of people and, and, and things going by. Oh, that's really <laughs> funny. Um, what natural gift would you most like to possess as a writer? Oh, boy. Um, well, I would love to possess a natural gift. I don't know if it exists or not, of um, no self-doubt. <laughs> Okay, you're about the third or fourth person today. Really? No, no, it does not exist. Only if we could figure out a way to do this. No, that, that does not <laughs> exist. Don't even worry about that. Um, what's your current state of mind as a, as a writer? Um, yeah, I guess as a writer and as a person, I feel um, with everything that's been going on with Trump and in our country, I just feel a, a mix of rage, despair, and anxiety um, pretty much frequently. <laughs> coupled with this, you know, desire to get to work. Yeah. Yep. And now that you've completed the novel and you're in the process of publishing, how has completing and having it accepted and getting it published, how has that changed you? Well, it's been actually extremely validating. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people have always said, it doesn't really change that much when you publish your first book. But, you know, and it hasn't been published quite yet. But it's really... In the past year, ever since um, I won the Penn Bellwether and, and found out it was going to be published, um, it's allowed me to really believe in myself yeah. and my work um, in a way that I hadn't before. Yeah. yeah. Who are Who's your first reader? Who do you give your pages to first? I have um, two good friends who um, are both writers and we exchange work and often write in a cafe together. Oh, really? You sit together? We sit together. We, we eat um, sugary treats and <laughs> we gossip and we work and they've been great readers. That's interesting. Do you force yourself to write X number of words before you give yourself a sugary treat? No. No, you just, it's just all right there. <laughs> what is the fun of that? The sugar has to come first. Okay, good. I like it. All right. So I'm asking folks to tell me a story about their independent bookstore at any time, mm. at any point in their lives. Sure. Something that's been influential and meaningful to them mm-hmm. that happened in or around an independent bookstore. Huh. Well, um, one of my local independent bookstores is Greenlight Books in Brooklyn, sure. where I live, um, in Fort Greene. And um, I don't know if I have a specific story, but I've been to so many great readings there um, and seen a lot of debut authors that um, I know and some that I don't know. And 
throughout the past few years, it's been just so inspirational for me to go there and also dream about my own book launch someday <laughs> and, and just see like how um, they've been able to interact with the community and also with the writing community in New York. Yeah. Do you know where your first reading will be? Yes. Um, my On the Pub Day, which is May 2nd, I'll be doing a reading at the Upper East Side Barnes & Noble in Manhattan uh-huh. on 86th Street. Oh, lovely. And how are you, how do you feel about that? Are you excited? Are you nervous? I'm really excited. Um, it still seems a little far away, but yeah, you know, it doesn't may quite seem real yet. Especially I, when you're in Minneapolis yeah, at the end exactly. of January. <laughs> It'll get real soon. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. And what are you working on? Or how, why, So you started something in November. You're not mm-hmm. working on it now because it's just too yeah. much. You're trying, yes. Right. But can you tell us anything about the, the new work? Um, well... I'm not quite sure exactly how to describe it yet. Um, yeah, but it's I was, too early. Huh? Yeah, but I'm definitely going to keep pushing on it this year and Terrific. get some more done. I can't wait to read it. And thank you so much. Thank you. Re- I really enjoyed the levers. Thank you. Thanks for listening. All of the books you've heard mentioned here are available at your independent bookstore. And if you like what you've heard, please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents.